Hello, Real Life family. Pastor Tim with you again and continuing the series on godly conviction, courage, courageous conviction. And uh, we're looking at the story of Daniel in the Bible. So my, my question I just want to throw out to you, of course, it's a rhetorical question, is can a story of 2,600 years ago have any bearing on us today? Can it give us any help today? Um, and, and if that story is from God's word, the answer is yes, yes. And so we're looking at a character in the Bible, Daniel, who about, like I said, 2,600 years ago uh, was written about his life, and he was a great man of conviction, courageous, godly conviction. And what we need today uh, as the church is to be strong in our faith, strong in our conviction. And so last week's uh, memory verse, Isaiah 7, 9, uh, said, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And as we are living in a culture that is incredibly challenging uh, right now, mor uh, morality, uh, just the, the pressures that we are facing as people of faith, we need to know God's word. We need to stand strong on his word and, uh, and trust in God. We can't be pressured or swayed by a fallen culture like the Israelites uh, were many years ago. As they began to uh, loosen their convictions and trust in God and began to embrace the foreign gods around them and the practices of those foreign cultures, which led to their decay and uh, ultimately to their destruction. So the church needs to be strong. We need to have conviction, but it needs to be godly conviction. There's lots of people in our world right now that have convictions, but if it's not based on God's eternal truths, those convictions actually turn out to harm us. And so because we know that God is the creator of the universe, he is sovereign, he, and his truth is supreme, and he holds eternity in his hands, that's who we base our conviction on. And so today I want to continue uh, the story of Daniel in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So I hope that as we look at a story uh, that's 2,600 years old, that the Bible says even that story was there, is there for you and for me today, today to see the perseverance in Scripture, the men and women, the examples God put there for us, that we might be encouraged and we might have hope. So I'm praying that you will have hope today. You'll be encouraged today to be strong in the Lord, to have strong godly conviction that his word is true, that he is sovereign, and uh, that you can trust in him with your life because he has eternity in his hands, right? And so today we're going to look at that. Now the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 to 29. God is speaking. He says, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. 
So, wow, what a loaded uh, statement this is. Before we get into the story of Daniel, this is the importance of godly conviction. Because this is saying, God is saying, once again, I will shake heaven and earth. I will shake everything that is created so that what can't be shaken will remain. But everything else will crumble. Everything's going to crumble that's not built on the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that to us too, right? Through the Matthew chapter 7, the wise man, the foolish man, building your house on the rock, the kingdom of God, Jesus' teachings, and putting those things into practice makes you unshakable, right? And it says God is a consuming fire. What that means is God wants all of you, and he will, he will burn away, he will shake off of us anything that's a false God, a false belief that's hurting us, harming us, holding us back, from who he made us to be. And so let's have our convictions, not based on the pop popular you know, theme of the day, the social uh, issue of the day, or the latest trend, or the, the latest fad, or the pressures of a, of a culture that's fallen. We need to base our convictions on the word of God, on the kingdom of God, which cannot be shaken. And the Bible gives us this encouragement. In Psalm 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. What the Bible is saying is not only is the kingdom of God not shakable, it will endure forever, but those who trust in God, who build their life on Him, are unshakable as well. When the shaking comes, the Bible says you will stand strong. Right? You will endure because you built your foundation on the rock, on Jesus, on the kingdom of God, on Jesus' teachings, His Word. Amen? So that's what I'm trying to encourage you to do in a world um, that just seems to be spiraling out of control and uh, whose morality is just constantly uh, uh, going worse and worse. Uh, and the pressures that we feel from a culture trying to conform us or press us into its mold, we need to stand strong on the things that actually matter, on eternity, on God's Word. So I'm trying to encourage you with this series to be a person of great, godly, courageous conviction in God's Word, to stand strong on His Word. So everything built on the kingdom of God, on Jesus as a rock, as a firm foundation, is unshakable, will not be shaken. Everything else, though, will be shaken and will crumble will fall apart. This is a main theme of the book of Daniel, that God is sovereign and he's in control and we need to trust in him with all of our lives. And so the definition of conviction I gave last week is it's a strong persuasion or belief, or it's the state of being convinced or free from doubt. Having something deep inside of you that has, you have a resolve that you know this is right and literally it's worth dying for. Like you will not be swayed you will not sell out. You will not be pressured because it is such a deep core uh, resolved issue in your heart. And that's what we need to have in the fact that Jesus is Lord. His word is true. God is eternal. He is sovereign. And his truth is supreme. These are the types of things that we need to have a, a, just a godly resolve on the deep inside of who we are. And so in Daniel chapter 1, as a quick review, Daniel passes the first test of his convictions. And that is this, that he didn't, um, his convictions and our convictions 
Um, do not compromise on the small things. And so just a quick review, Daniel was given choice food and drink from the king, and eating this food would have defiled Daniel. It would go against his beliefs and his faith for a couple different reasons. One, the, the culture of the day, that food and drink from the king's table, would have been dedicated to the foreign god of the land, probably the name Murdoch or Bell, as that God came to be known. And so the, the, that alone, as that food and drink was dedicated to a foreign God, would have defiled Daniel by partaking of it. And secondly, some of those foods and, and, uh, were probably non-kosher foods, and in the law, and we don't want to get into the weeds on this, but in the, in the law for the Jew, uh, there were certain foods they could not eat according to the law, according to God. And so to eat... A food that Daniel wasn't allowed to eat would have defiled him. He would have disobeyed God. He would have broken his conviction. So there's a lot of details in that that I want to get into. But on the surface, it looked like a small thing, an innocent thing. Well, hey, the king is offering me all this food. It's for, it's for my betterment. You know, I'm in the special program uh, with all these other people. We're being trained. Um, it's a privileged lifestyle. It's real, you know, maybe I could just, you know, Maybe I could just uh, compromise on this. I mean, it's going to be awkward if I resist. Maybe I'll even, uh, maybe even my life will be at risk if I refuse. I mean, I'm in a foreign land. I'm being told by the king, I have to do this. You know, so there's all these thoughts that go through, must have gone through Daniel's mind. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he passed the test and it said, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He came to a... Uh, uh, a place on the inside of himself. He had his own personal conversation inside of his soul. And he says, I am not going to bend. I'm not going to comply. I'm not going to conform. I'm going to stay true to God. I'm going to stay true to my convictions no matter what. And he came to that conclusion. And God gave him favor. And, and the story goes on that Daniel actually uh, prospered, looked better, looked healthier, and his buddies than all the other people who were partaking of the choice food. And God blessed him and gave him favor. And I'm telling you, God's blessing and favor is always upon his children who are trusting in him and following him. And so that's part of the story of chapter one. And uh, so now we're going to look at chapter two. But before we do, I just want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever felt that your convictions are often inconvenient <laughs> or your convictions are often costly? You know, like for Daniel, he, it, this was not an easy thing to buck the system, right? Actually, his life was at risk to, to deny and to not comply to the foreign powers at play. It could have cost him his life. And yet you came to that conclusion that I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to hold true to my convictions in God. It may seem like a small thing, but Daniel would not stray from following God and following his word. And he did not cave into those pressures or the culture or the expectations or the demands of others around him when they were contrary to what God's word said. And that's really the lesson I want to leave you with from chapter one, is that we have all kinds of pressures right now in our culture to comply, to bend, to compromise on things that are contrary to God's word. And we need to be strong and we need to have courageous, 
godly conviction to trust in God, to follow and obey His Word, because we will benefit from God's blessing, and the world needs to see what, what God's truth is being lived out in our lives. Okay? So, it takes resolve, though, beforehand. I remember one time I was going to the post office, and um, I had this uh, uh, CD that was sent to me by a company, and to be able to see what CD it was, I kind of had to curl back the label a little bit and peek at the CD to see if I wanted it, and I didn't want it. So I, I just flattened that label back out, and I was just going to return it to the post office. And when I stood up to the counter and gave it to the person, uh, the, the guy asked me a question. He says, has this been opened? And inside, all of a sudden, my mind is just, uh, is just kind of going through the compromise dialogue inside, like, has it been opened? Well, technically, I didn't open it, but I did slide the label back. I looked in there. I said, but I, and I, I had this struggle. It was so silly because the postage that I had to pay on that package came to a total of $1.32, $1.32. And in the midst of that moment, I was tempted to lie. I was tempted to say, no, I didn't open the package. And technically, I didn't open it, but, but really, I did. And so I was thinking about that, and then in the end, I came to the conclusion, I, what, what am I doing? I, I want to be a person of honesty. I am a person of honesty and truth. And I almost sold my integrity for a dollar and 32 cents. That's what it came down to. And it was a small thing, but it was a huge moment for me. To say, I'm not going to compromise my honesty or my integrity for the small things. Because that's where it begins. And I walked out of there with this receipt that I said to the guy, oh, this is what I did. Da, 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 da. He said, okay, that'll be $1.32. I paid the $1.32. I took that receipt and I carried that receipt in my wallet for years. And years after, just to remind myself, never sell your integrity. I almost sold my integrity for $1.32. And uh, I kept that receipt so long that one day I took it on my wallet to look at it, and it was completely blank. All the ink had faded completely away. Uh, but that was a reminder to me of how easy it is, the temptation to compromise on the small things. Uh, I remember one other time in terms of being inconvenienced, I was uh, purchasing a, a couple of cases, big cases of pop for an event that I was in charge of. And I came out of the grocery store and when the teller told me the, the, the total, I was surprised at how cheap it was. And I'm, as I'm walking out with these two giant cases of, of pop and getting to my car, I was thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute, there's no way it was that cheap. So I put them in my car, I pulled my receipt out, I looked and sure enough, she'd only charged me for one of those giant cases. So I'm like, ugh. You know, so again, here it is. This is going to be a, a pain for me to go back into the store to make things right. I'm like, ah, she missed it. You know, it doesn't really matter. And yet I had to have that battle again inside of me to say, you know what? I need to do what's right. So I go back into the store uh, and I kind of like interrupt the lady for a second. She has a line of customers and I just say, hey, I'm sorry, but you know, you only charged me one, one case of pops. I owe you for another case. And she's like, well, okay, well, just get in line. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, get in line. I'm thinking, oh, come on, I just got through the line 
And now she's, she's like acting annoyed that I came back and, and like I'm causing a problem here and I'm trying to give her money, you know what I mean? And so then I get back in line, I wait for like three or four customers to go through to give her the money that she didn't get the first, anyway, sometimes it is inconvenient and sometimes it is costly. I mean, I would say almost all the time it's inconvenient and costly to be a person of conviction, but that's who we are. Otherwise, we compromise on what we believe, even the small things, and then there's a slippery slope and it, and it runs out of control. And we wake up one day and we don't even recognize our heart anymore. It's drifted so far. And that's what's happened in the Bible time and time again. We see stories of people drifting from God, giving ground slowly, and then there's just this huge chasm be before uh, between them and God and who they're meant to be. And that's why conviction is so important that we honor our godly convictions and we're courageous even in the moments of the small things. So let's go on to Daniel chapter 2. Jan Daniel chapter 2, the story continues. And now this is a different episode. And King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And I want to give you a quick overview of the story. So he has this dream. It really bothers him. He gathers all of his enchanters, magicians, sorcerers, all the wise people, and he gives them, the, them this command. He says, I had a dream. It has troubled me. I want someone to interpret my dream. Tell me what my dream was and tell me what it means. And if you do this, you'll be greatly rewarded. And if you don't do this, it's going to cost you your life and I'm going to destroy your home and your family. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, he wasn't messing around. He wanted results. He was demanding results. And the Bible says this, the astrologers answered the king. This is chapter 2, verse 10. There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. They're freaking out. They're like, this is impossible. They go on to say, no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was so mad and so furious that he made a decree, kill all the wise men in Babylon. Kill them all. I'm done. I'm not messing around with these guys. He was so furious he made an edict to kill all these guys, all of them. Now, the problem with that is Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, you know, um, the, and his buddies, there's one more. The, these guys were part of that group. And so when the commander of the king's guard came to Daniel to get Daniel and his three buddies to kill them, so they gather him to kill them. Daniel's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Let's talk. <laughs> and it says that Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, what's this all about? Tell me what's happening here. And so the officer explained it to Daniel. Daniel said, look, here's what's going to happen. God is going to give us the, the, the interpretation. Just give us some time. Give us a day, you know? And so... Um, Daniel goes to his buddies and he says, here's what's going on. If, we, if God does not answer us, if God does not reveal this dream to us, we're going to be killed. There, there's a, the decree, the king is furious. He's going to kill us all. So let's plead to God for mercy. Let's go to God for mercy. The Bible says they were pleading for God. And that night, God gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation. Isn't that awesome? 
<laughs> so cool. And so Daniel, the next day, goes to the, the king, uh, king's officer, Ariok was his name. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So Ariok brings Daniel before the king, and the king says this to Daniel. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And here's Daniel's reply. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll finish. It's more than that. But he said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven. I love Daniel's response. Now, listen, Daniel has the information right now. He's standing before the king, and this is a prime time for Daniel to, uh, you know, to receive personal glory and fame, to be noticed by the king. He is on the, he is on the brink of saving all of the lives of the wise men, the enchanters and sorcerers of Babylon. He is currently about to be the savior, okay, if you will, of all of these people's lives. And he's going to impress the king. And the king says, Daniel, are you able to do this? And everything inside of him, I was wondering about this. Must have been, if it was me, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> yes, I can. Yes, I can, king, because I got an in with God, you know. But Daniel doesn't say it that way. He's like, nobody can do this. Nobody, none of us, no one can do what the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. And Daniel puts all the glory, all the honor, and all the credit where it belongs to God. He takes zero credit and zero honor and zero glory. And this is the conviction test number two. Conviction test number two. Convictions do not surrender to the temptation of personal gain or personal glory. How many people have surrendered or compromised their convictions for personal gain or personal glory or some personal advancement in power or prestige. Glory and personal advancement. And true convictions, the kind of godly convictions that you and I need to have, will never fold for personal gain or personal glory because we understand that God is sovereign. And even the breath that we breathe is from Him. Anything that we do of value at all on the earth ultimately is credited to God working in us, working through us, because He has saved us and He's transforming us. And He's the light in us that makes us the light in the world. He is the light. Without Him in us, we have nothing. And so to come to that conclusion on the deep inside of our hearts, that is a great godly conviction to realize all glory and all honor belong to God. Belong to God. And the opposite reaction, to be prideful, to take credit, to take glory, is the beginning of a great fall. We have seen it over and over again in individual lives and in nations and kings. We've seen it in famous people. We've seen it all the time. And because pride, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we always need to take this posture that Daniel is taking. And we deflect all glory and honor to God because it actually is his. It's nothing to do with us. Daniel goes beyond this. He says, um, Daniel replies, but there is a God in 
heaven, who reveals mysteries. And he goes on later to say, as for me, this mystery, this is verse 30, chapter 2, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. It's, it's not me. God's just using me. I'm not smarter than anybody else. Uh, but God, the God in heaven, is speaking to you, king. And Daniel gives, is given the platform to preach the gospel to King Nebuchadnezzar because he's not taking the credit. He's giving all the credit to God. And saying, God wants you to know something, king. Wow. Now, this is a very famous dream. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I'll just tell you a couple things about it. So Daniel goes on to describe the dream that the king had. The, the king had a dream of this statue, this golden statue, and there's a head, there's a torso, there's the legs, there's the feet, and they were made out of different materials. You can read about this. I've asked you to read this chapter. But the interpretation in history is, um, is that Daniel said there's four kingdoms, and you are this kingdom right now. King, and you have all this authority. God has given you this kingdom, and, uh, but there are going to be kingdoms that follow you. And there's going to be four different kingdoms. And history tells us that this first one that King Nebuchadnezzar was, was uh, the king of is called the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and that started in 626 B.C. Following that was the Medo-Persian Empire, and Cyrus was that king, and we see some of that time frame in the Bible as well. And that started in 539 B.C. The third kingdom was the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great in 330 B.C. And then that became, later, the Roman Empire uh, and recognized to be started by Pompey in 63 B.C. Now, the reason why I give you this history is because Daniel has an incredible, God has shown us the incredible foreshadowing of a final kingdom that will come that will destroy and wipe out all these other four previous kingdoms. And this kingdom, I want to read for you, says this. It's embodied in this analogy of a rock. It says, then the iron, this is verse 35, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, these are the four different kingdoms, were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So there was a rock that came and hit the statue. This was the final kingdom, and it destroyed all the other ones. And Daniel goes on to say in verse 44, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. In other words, this rock is who? It's Jesus. And during the Roman Empire, during this fourth kingdom, 
We know historically that Jesus was born, the Son of God came, a rock hewn out of the mountain, not by the hands of man. He was not born of man. He was born of God through man. He came to us from heaven and he established a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Someone should be saying hallelujah right now. His kingdom, the kingdom of light and life and love and peace and wholeness and truth entered our kingdom, the kingdom of man, fallen, broken, evil, bound, sickness, disease, death. And Jesus came and he ushered in a new kingdom that will last and endure forever, that will overcome all these other kingdoms. This is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and this is the dream that Daniel interpreted for him and that we get to enjoy today, and now we are seeing the fulfillment of this as the kingdom of God is here. And now, and taking over brokenness, Jesus is taking over, he's swallowing up death, He's swelling up sickness. He's rejuvenating, rebirthing, renewing people's lives, transforming us from the inside out. We are seeing the fulfillment of this right now today through the kingdom of God. And so Daniel says to the king, uh, uh, he says that as in, in verse 44 and 45, that this, this interpretation is true. And as, as that came about, I want to remind you of what Jesus said when he came in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When Jesus came during the Roman Empire and he broke up this kingdom, not physically, he's really, this is all an analogy of the kingdom of God coming into the kingdom of, of Satan and the brokenness in this world. Jesus did three things when he came. The kingdom of God was represented by Jesus' ministry in these three things. He preached good news to everyone who would listen. He preached good news. He taught the kingdom of God that there is a new way. There is a new life. There is a new freedom. There is a new rule and a new reign. And it is God. And it's here. It's here. And then he demonstrated that in number three, by healing people of sicknesses and diseases, and by delivering people from spiritual oppression. The kingdom of God literally was changing and transforming uh, the people's lives around them and is still doing that today. The kingdom of God has brought life, light, freedom, deliverance, wholeness, truth, and power. The kingdom of this world is filled with hate, evil, selfishness, brokenness, abuse, lust, sickness, depression, suicide. And so now... We are seeing the fulfillment. That's why we are standing strong on God's word, that we are representing this kingdom of God on the earth today. And so there's two reasons why we need to have godly conviction. And I mentioned these earlier in this message. I'm going to mention them one more time. Number one is for personal benefit. When we are following God, when we are living in alignment with his word, we are walking in the blessings and in the favor of God. We are shining. We are being transformed. We are being healed. We are being set free. We are being renewed. We are, we are walking in the good of the kingdom of God. That's what happens. We personally benefit. It's like if a fan is blowing, if you've ever been uh, hot and there's a fan over here and it's blowing in one direction, you know, you can be seeing that fan, but as soon as if you want to experience it and you step in front of that fan, all of a sudden you're walking right into the 
the flow of the, the air, and it's like, oh, it feels good, it feels good. And walking in alignment with God's word, it's not like we have to, oh, we have to earn God's blessings, but God's blessings is always on the obedience of his word. So when we align ourselves with God's word and his way, when we're trusting in him with our lives by living our lives according to his word, we are walking into the flow of God's favor and blessings. And so there's a personal benefit for us to have godly convictions and to stay strong and to trust in God that he is more powerful than the forces around us. And that he is more eternal than the temporary things around us, right? And as his truth is more supreme and is better than anybody else's truth or false God proclamations. And the second reason we need to have godly conviction is because that's, that shines a light and makes a difference between wickedness and righteousness. The world, a fallen, broken, depraved world, blinded world needs to see righteousness lived out, needs to hear truth spoken. They need to see it and hear it. They need to have an example to show the contrast of what, what is different between darkness and light. What is different between good and evil? What is different between righteousness and wickedness? Between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, right? So the church is not just here to benefit personally by walking in, in fellowship with God in His Word, but to, to shine the difference in a fallen world. That's why Jesus says, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, chapter, four, uh, chapter 5, verse 14. You're not to be hidden. People don't put a lamp and then hide it. They put it up to light up, right? And we are here to light up this world, if for no other reason than to show and reflect the glory of God and His righteousness, okay? And so that's what Jesus came to do, and He's going to come and finish what He started. Revelation eleven fifteen 15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He will reign forever and ever. Jesus is the rock. He is the one who reigns supreme. King Nebuchadnezzar was taught by God through this dream that God is supreme. There is a God in heaven, the great God of heaven, who is above Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. And he is going to come and knock all of this stuff down. What can be shaken will be shaken. So what can't be shaken will remain. And what will remain is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will endure forever. Build your life on the kingdom of God. Trust in God's word. Have conviction that God is eternal. God is sovereign. His truth is supreme. Do not waver. Do not uh, comply uh, to the pressures of this world because you are building your life on the rock. And you will be blessed and you will be a witness to the rest of the world. I want to pray a blessing on you today. I want to encourage you with these words out of Revelation chapter 22 as we finish. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that's repent, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. He who testifies to these saints says, Yes, I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. We know the will of God is that none would perish, none would be lost, but all would come to the saving knowledge and place their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So while we are here, while we still have breath and we still have life, Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to the free gift of salvation that comes only through surrendering the Lordship of our life to Him. And if you're ready to make that decision today, to trust your life into Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, not to trust your life into the whims of a fallen world, into a culture that's just deteriorating, but into the eternal God who loves you, who's sovereign, who has a plan for you, and wants you to be with Him forever. That, that's Jesus Christ. If you're ready, let's pray this prayer together, okay? It's very simple, but it's, it's incredibly important. This is the most important decision we ever make in our lives, is to trust our life into the hands of Almighty God. Pray this prayer with me, would you? Jesus, today, I give my life to you. I turn the lordship, the ownership of my life into your hands. I trust that you are the sovereign God. You are the creator. You are the one who, have, who has given me life. And you are the one who holds my life in your hand. And I offer myself to you. And I thank you that you died for me to be forgiven of my sin, my rebellion, my, uh, my, my selfishness. And Lord, that you have cleansed me of all unrighteousness right now. And today I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life. In your name I pray. And in your name I trust. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to the family of God. Let's keep growing in our knowledge of God's word and let's keep growing in our uh, relationship with him. Okay. Let me pray a blessing on you today and uh, this next week. Go ahead and read Daniel chapter three and just remember uh, today's verse. I didn't really highlight it too much and I only want to really stress this one phrase. It's in Daniel chapter 20, uh, chapter two, verse 28. And Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven. And anytime you are struggling, anytime that you need a miracle, anytime that you, you run out of your own means, right? Instead of saying, I can't or I need to, just say, but there is a God in heaven. Remember, there is a God in heaven who is for you, who's with you, who will supply everything that you need to do what he's called you to do. There is a God in heaven, Daniel 2, 28, but there is a God in heaven. Let your heart continue to repeat that to yourself 
all week long. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Hope to see you soon.